Glory to God. Um, I already prayed. Through the course of, of this message, the idea is for our senses to be awakened to God's likeness and for us to live with an understanding about God and His life, right? And uh, what it means in our lives and how it interprets our lives. And so I've been thinking a lot about the meaning of life. And you ever think about the meaning of life? Why am I here? What's my purpose? So I've been thinking about the meaning of life and something I realized looking back on my life as a young man and growing up, I struggled to understand life. I struggled to understand myself, right? And I thought I, I was one of these people who thought they were smart. Even like 10 years old, no, parent, no, no, no adults tell me what to do. I remember the principal trying to tell me about life. And I'm, I told, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what I told him. And I said that as if I knew what I was talking about. I'm like 11 years old. <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> My poor parents. I mean, I didn't understand anything about life, but I thought I knew everything. Right? And so looking back on my life, I realized I struggled to understand life. But not just I struggled to understand life. I struggled to understand myself. I struggled to understand my own heart and, and why I felt the things that I felt and, and what it meant that I felt them. Like I had no understanding about that. And that, that became a problem in my life. And I think it's a problem in a lot of people's lives that they don't know how to process what's going on inside of them, right? And listen, if, if that's you and, and you were like me or you are presently like that, there's good news for you. You're not meant to be able to process it, but God has come and discerned your life for you so that you can understand what's going on in you. You can start to understand your desires. You can start to understand the passions that you feel. You can start to understand the confusion. You start to understand everything, right? And so I struggled to understand the meaning of life. And I think everyone wants to understand the meaning of life. And if you say you don't care to understand the meaning of life, it's because you felt so much pain trying to understand that you never could, that you've now tried to deceive yourself into thinking that you don't care about what the meaning of life is. Because it's actually something inherent in the design and creation of man, is to desire to understand the meaning of life. It's something that's working in us all of the time. And so everyone wants to know the meaning of life. And we see all of that working in everything we see in the world. All of human philosophy, all of human science revolves around the desire to understand life and what makes the world go round. It's the pursuit of understanding life. It's the pursuit to know what makes the world go around. And we even think if we can understand what makes the world go around, that will somehow be the wisdom that will help us have a good outcome in our life or that will help us find ourselves landing in the place of ultimate well-being. If we can now understand life and understand what makes the world go around, that's how we're going to have ultimate well-being, wellness. I mean, that's what we think. And people go to great lengths trying to understand their life. People go to great lengths in this world trying to understand what makes them tick. In New Orleans, we have something called Pirate's Alley in the French Quarter. And you can go down to Pirate's Alley and there's people there having their palms read. There are people there having their cards read. There are people there having their futures being told to them, right? And all because they're trying to understand their lives. All because they're trying to make sense of their life and what makes them tick and what's going on. Because they think if they can understand those things, somehow that'll be the power to have a good life or a good outcome or ultimate well-being. Right? People want to know where they came from. 
Because in th- they think if I can find my origin, that will somehow give some clarity and meaning to my life. And there's a portion of truth to that, but not in the sense that the world thinks about it. And so listen, everyone is seeking something. Everyone is searching. Our dear friend Sue calls it the journey. Those of you that know Sue are like, yes. I think that's Sue's favorite word. (laughs) And she's right to to bring up the journey. Everyone's searching. Everyone's seeking something. And the reality is, and we don't always see this exactly clearly, especially for a large portion of our life, the reality is that everyone's seeking the same thing. Actually, we're all seeking the same thing. It's just we struggle to understand ourselves. We struggle to understand our passions. So we end up trying to satisfy our passions with a lot of different things that can never satisfy our longing or our yearning. And then we feel distraught when the thing we thought could satisfy our desire because we felt real good once. Our senses felt real good when this happened. And so we confuse that good feeling with the thinking that that's what can give us or satisfy our desire. But that will always fail us. You know, we have songs. It's called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Everybody's actually looking to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. And all of us are looking to feel loved in a whole lot of different places. Some of us try to find love in relationships. And you can have loving relationships, but trying to find your desire for love satisfied in a relationship will leave you empty and broken and bankrupt and will ultimately destroy the relationship. Some of us try to find love in accomplishments and status. Some of us think if we can accomplish a certain amount or if we can gain a certain status, we'll be accepted in the beloved. It's a sign that we're lovable. Some of us have been taught to find love by our appearance. We try to find love through our appearance. Or if we can get our appearance to be just right, or we can make it look in a certain way, then that will cause me to find the love I'm searching for. And listen, you didn't come up with any of these things on your own. You're innocent. It says you were born in a world where there was a wisdom that pointed to love in all those things. And it came alongside of you and taught you you could find what you're searching for in this or that or the other. I mean, we go through the mundane. Isn't that a famous word from the Adam mind? The mundane of life. Right? The routine. I got to wake up and go. I mean, in high school, it's like, I got to wake up and go to class. First period, second period, third period, blah, blah, blah. What's the point? I mean, listen, in high school, there is a point. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But when I was in high school, what's the point of this nonsense? Right? We would tell each other, we're not going to use this ever in our life. (laughs) And so it becomes the mundane. You know, you're just going through the motions. So we go through the mundane, and when we go through the mundane, we're actually looking for purpose. We're actually looking for meaning. We're looking for meaning to life. And we're looking for purpose, wondering what's it all about, wondering what our purpose is. Have you ever wondered what's your purpose? Have you ever wondered why am I here? Why am I born? My goodness. We have a strong desire for purpose. That is wired inside of us. We have a strong desire for purpose. Some of you even know, listen, people even write books with titles called The Purpose Driven Life. 
And the reason why that book could even come forth, which that book is garbage, just so you know, it actually teaches you to find purpose in temporal created things. Nothing temporal or created could ever satisfy your desire for purpose. Only that which is uncreated can satisfy your desire for purpose because you were born from or brought forth from someone who has no beginning and no end. There's a lot of things you can do in this world. There is. I'm doing something right now. All of you do something. You like things, you do them. There's a lot of things you can do in this world. But don't ever confuse anything you can do in this world for your purpose. Don't ever confuse what you can do with I found my purpose. Because that's the breeding ground for pain and destruction. Right? Nothing you can do in this world can satisfy your desire for purpose. Nothing. I don't care how noble it is. Some people think it's real noble what I'm doing. Some people think ministry is so noble. Ministry cannot dissatisfy my desire for purpose. Nothing that has a beginning or an end can satisfy your desire for purpose. I'm going to say that again. Nothing that has a beginning or an end can satisfy your desire for purpose. Whatever ministry may be coming out of me, whatever good thing that may be coming from God, listen, man, it's going to end. There's going to come a day where I ain't doing it no more. I mean, and even if we only look to when the heaven and the earth collide, and the earth is glorified with immortality, and we're walking around in glorified immortal flesh, and death has been completely removed from all of creation, I'm not going to need a ministry. Because God's ministry will have been manifested in the earth and in all the people that called upon His name. And so there isn't any need for a preacher. Your purpose is of a heavenly, eternal substance. Because you come from an eternal being. God also has a purpose. Do you think His purpose is temporal? Do you think his purpose has a beginning or an end? It says he purposed in himself to do something. And the thing he purposed in himself to do doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's alpha and omega. It is eternal. And so if God's purpose is of an eternal, heavenly substance, and we've been brought forth from God himself, then wouldn't that tell us that the only thing that can satisfy our desire for purpose is a heavenly, eternal purpose? Your purpose, the reason you are alive, because you can think, why am I here? Or you can think, my God, how did I get here? Your purpose, the reason you are alive and were born, is that so God could love you unto the point of His likeness manifesting in your body. That's why you're here. That's why you were born. That's why you're longing for love. Because your purpose is actually to be loved. Except the thing that can love you is only one thing. Not all the other things. So, guys, we know the scripture. It says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you guys know that verse? Yeah, we were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Is what that means. There's a, you know, it doesn't, God didn't make anything else in his image. He made us in His image. That's the fearfully and wonderfully made type of thing. But there's a very serious reason why He made us in His image. 
And the reason he made you in his image is so you could receive his spirit of faith in your heart so that you would live by the heart, just like God lives out of the heart, just like God's life is born from his spirit of faith. The Holy Spirit is the pouring out of God's life. And so God has inside of himself the spirit of faith. This spirit of faith is what produces his life, his light. And so he made us in his image so we could have a heart and that we could find our hearts receiving the spirit of its faith. And then that spirit of faith that could dwell in us, what that spirit of faith would then do is animate our mortal bodies with God's immortality. That's your purpose. Success and failure can only be defined by that. I want to love my wife. I want to be nice to my wife. I want to be good to my wife. Success and failure is not found in me getting that right all the time with my wife. Because I could love my wife perfectly all day long. You know what it can never do? Glorify my body with immortality. I could love my wife perfectly all day long. And don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with loving your wife, right? But I can love my wife perfectly. I could lay down my life for her. I could do all that for her. You know what it can't do? It can't glorify her with immortality. So God made you in his image so you could receive his spirit of faith. That's his love. That's him pouring out of himself, his heart. That's what we do, right? We give each other our heart. God's heart is the faith. And he pours out his heart towards us. That's his love, right? And now we receive that love. And that love loves us into the likeness of his immortality. And then we're like, wow, we become awakened his likeness and we start to find satisfaction we start to find our desire for purpose satisfied in being awakened to the likeness of his life inside of us and then you start to feel satisfied you start to find contentment right and that's what paul says in romans he says for therein is the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith you know who can't have faith my dog i love my little dog I posted a picture of her on Instagram. That's a cute little Liza Jane. We even got songs. Whoa, little Liza, little Liza Jane, the sweetest thing I ever did see. Whoa, little Liza. We sing songs about the dogs. I love the dogs. Loves the dogs. You spell dog backwards and it's God. And so even a dog can minister to you the love of God. But the love that the dog can give you can't love you into immortality. It can only point you to the one whose love can satisfy your desire for purpose, which is to be loved unto life. That's your purpose. And the world will try and convolute that and give you all sorts of different things, but that's your purpose, to be loved unto immortality in your body. You guys following that? We're going to read from Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're trying to understand ourselves a little bit today. We'll start with verse 22, and I'm going to read through a bunch of verses. This is Paul going to Mar... Oh, yeah. Thank you, babe. <laughs> Loving and missing our friends in Switzerland. Such a blessing to have some of those guys with us in Branson. Love those guys. Daniel had compassion on me for my much sweating, and so he got me this towel from Switzerland. There's a burning in my bones. 
This is Paul on Mars Hill, the place of philosophy, where all the philosophers and the really smart people came to figure out the meaning of life and what makes the world go round. This is Paul standing up in the midst of those dudes, right? I love Paul. <laughs> I love how he did that, right? Imagine this guy. Imagine the boldness from the Lord to go stand up in the middle of there. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. You think Pirate's Alley in the French Quarter is a little too superstitious? For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom you ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. Do you see what Paul says there? That these guys are actually trying to worship God. I don't think we have a perverted view of what worship means. Worship would mean to seek something, to seek God. Even people who are seeking things that aren't from God, do you know why they're seeking the things that aren't from God? They're still trying to seek God. They're just doing it ignorantly because they don't know what it is to seek God. They don't even know what God is. They have no reference point for what it is they're even trying to seek. And so Paul says, I see you got an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. You're ignorantly worshiping Him. Him I come to declare unto you. God that made the worlds and all things therein. Seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Right? This building? The only reason God's here is because you're here. And God's in you. Right? So if we all leave, God's not in the building. And we didn't come here to find God. Right? We all came together because God is in us, and now we're just talking about the Lord. He dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is he worshipped with men's hands. Which is a powerful statement. Neither is he worshipped by what you can do for him. Neither is he worshipped by some service or ministry you can perform. You can perform a service or a ministry. And you might get a buzz doing it. You might really enjoy it. I don't know if you can tell, I like what's happening right now. But what I'm doing now is not worshipping God with my hands. I'm not doing this to make God happy with me. Right? He's not worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. I mean, we've been taught God as if he needs a whole lot of stuff from us. If God needs something from you and me, I want to tell you right now, he's not God. Because his name Jehovah means self-existent one. That means he's self-sustaining. He's self-existent. That means he doesn't need anything from you. He has everything. Which is the point Paul's making here. He's not worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he gives life, he gives to all life and breath in all things. And has made of one. It says one blood. That word blood isn't in the original text. Right? He goes on to talk about inasmuch as we are the offspring of God. So when it says that he's made all men of one, he's talking about he's the creator of all men. God. Right? He has made of one all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel, handle, touch. He wants us to seek him because he wants us to be able to touch, handle, experience his life in our senses. Right? That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Though he be not far from every one of us. I mean, you guys realize that we were taught the gospel from the perspective as if 
we're separated from God. He is far from all of us. I don't think we understand creation if we think we could ever be far from God. Now, you could most certainly be dwelling in death and not partaking of the likeness of his life, but even that doesn't mean he's far from you. And he goes on to tell us why. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even these guys who are unbelievers that he's talking to, he's telling them, God, that you're seeking ignorantly, that you're worshiping ignorantly by this altar. He's not even far from you. For you're actually living and moving and having your being in him right now. In fact, even the reason why you built this altar is because you live and move and have your being in him. What? Well, you're already worshiping this God. Let me come and tell you who he is so that you can like do it in, in a way that's according to knowledge and not ignorance. For we live and move and have our being in him, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. You're making me hungry, Cindy. My senses have been awakened. No, 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 no. Please, keep it. I like it. I just couldn't help it. That's nice. <laughs> uh, as certain as your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He said that to unbelievers. For as much then as we the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device, created things. We ought not confuse the Godhead for created things. Right? We ought not confuse intimacy with the Godhead through created things. Right? And the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to change your mind from thinking you can experience God through created things and understand that the only way you can be found by God is by you calling upon his name and you receiving in yourself the likeness of his immortality. That's the only way you can experience God. Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained whereof he has given assurance unto all, in that he has raised him from the dead. So Paul starts going into the resurrection from the dead. That, that's how he comes to declare to them the God that they, they don't know that they're actually seeking. He uses the resurrection of Jesus to do that. And when he talks about God has set the day which, with he will judge the world, we tend to think of condemnation. It's not talking about he set the day where he will condemn the world, right? John said that, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might have life through him. And so he said the world was already standing in condemnation. So when he says that God has appointed the day where he would judge the world in righteousness through this man, Jesus, whereby he gave us assurance in that he raised Jesus from the dead, what he's talking about is God has set forth the day where he's going to bring forth the government or the, the power of his immortality in the earth. And he's given us assurance that he's going to establish his government which is a government that's built upon the shoulders of his indestructible life. He's gave us an assurance that he's going to do that when he raised Jesus from the dead. Right? Now, real quick, I feel to say this as many times as I can. I'm going to try and stick to the notes so we get through this now. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't in need of anything from you. If he needed anything from you, I already said it, but I want to say it slower. If he needed anything from you, he couldn't be God. In order to be God, you have to be self-existent, self-sustaining. You can't need anything. If you need anything, you're not God. 
right? We need stuff. We're not God. <laughs> the fact that you can feel that you need something is a perfect sign you're not God. Neither can you be your own God, meaning you can't bring forth life for yourself, right? Neither can you bring forth life in other people. I used to think that if I could bring forth life in other people, then I could be happy because I'm around a bunch of people that aren't living right. And they're in the way of me living right. And so if I can now get life to be brought forth in them, then I can start having a good time. And then you realize, oh, the problem was you. <laughs> How can you get life from a, another created being that also needs life? You can't. You can only get life from God. That's one of the big things that ruins our relationships, is we've become fixated on one another as if one another is the power unto having life. Right? That doesn't mean that you can't find... Uh, relationships grow or you can't find things being made straight, but you never want to get fixated on the relationship as if the power to have life is found in there, right? Because then it'll bring you great pain. God didn't need you to lay down his life for him. He doesn't need you to lay down your life for him. He came to lay down his life for you. He's the one that died on the cross, right? And so you're not laying down your life from God. As I said last week, God has life in himself. And it was always his passion to pour himself out for you. God emptied himself, as Paul just said, to give his life and his breath to all things. When he said, let there be light in Genesis. And he laid down his life once again at the cross through his son Jesus shedding his blood. He laid down his life once again at the cross. And do you know why he did it? To once again give his life and his breath to all things. That's why he did it once again. So Paul's on Mars Hill. Mars Hill is where the Stoics and the philosophers gathered. They gathered to seek wisdom. They love wisdom. They gathered to seek wisdom. They gathered to wrestle with the origin and meaning of life. Paul sees they have an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. He says, I've come to tell you about the God. You're ignorantly worshiping or ignorantly seeking. To worship something means to seek something Paul sees they're seeking something, but they're not really sure what they're seeking, and they don't really know how to get there. Right? And because of that, they made this altar. That's why they have an altar to the unknown God. And Paul tells them, I'm here to tell you what you're seeking, and I'm also here to tell you how you can attain to it. I'm here to explain your life to you, so to speak. I'm here to explain your passions to you. I'm here to discern your heart for you. I'm here to explain everything that's going on inside of you, why you feel a longing, why you feel a yearning, why you even felt the need to make this altar. I'm here to explain it all to you so you can see what you're actually after and you can see how you can actually find it or rather be found by it, right? That's what he's talking about. And so God, like he said, made of himself all people. All people are the offspring of God. And what God did when he made us all guys, is he wanted there to be something in us where we would seek after him so we could find him, so we could touch him, so we could handle him by way of his likeness being manifested in us, in us feeling the likeness of God inside of our bodies, where the fullness of God's life could manifest in our flesh, and we would be like, do you know the sensory overload from that? I just want to say it, I was a drug addict for a while. And the first time you do the drugs, the first time I took ecstasy, I was like, wow. And I didn't understand why it had such a hold. 
But I understand now why it had such a hold, because it gave me a sensory overload in my flesh. And my flesh is actually looking for that kind of a thing. The problem is drugs can't really give me what it's looking for, because only the likeness of God's immortality can give my flesh what it's looking for. And so I was ignorantly worshiping God even when I was taking drugs. The drugs were like an altar. Because I didn't really know who God was. I was even saved at that point. I had no idea it was about immortality in the flesh. I had no idea that God didn't need anything from me. My whole life was built around what I needed to give God and what He demanded from me. The only reason why, the buzz. I even had the sticker on my locker in search of the perfect buzz. Do you know where that saying even comes from? In search of the perfect buzz? You're ignorantly worshiping God. Because you're in search of what you can gain through the likeness of his immortality. But you've never heard that that is found in the likeness of his immortality. So you're searching it in all these different things. Looking for love in all the wrong places. God wants, God wants to be found. And so he made us in his image so that that could help along the finding process. And when I say he wants to be found, rather you would actually describe it as he wants us to know he's found us. Adam, where are you? He wants to meet with us so he can pour himself out into us and we could see his likeness manifested in our bodies. And it's like with Hansel and Gretel. You remember Hansel and Gretel? They had the trail of pebbles or the trail of breadcrumbs, right? So God is calling our names. Adam, where are you? He, he's found us. He's looking for us. He's calling our names because he wants us to come and meet with him. So he left the trail, so to speak, right? The calling of the name. It's like a trail. It's drawing us to something. There's a seeking in us. He put that in there. And he didn't put it in there like mechanically. The very fact that we come forth from his loins has it in our DNA. You're desiring to find that from which you have your origin. That's why children who are, quote unquote, what the world calls orphans or have been adopted, they have this longing in themselves to know where they came from. A seeking. No one had to tell them to have it. It's just there. That's the same thing that is in all human beings because they were created by God. And it's in there so that we would be seeking after him because he's seeking after us. And the whole point is you would collide and meet. Hallelujah. There's like this, uh, this TV show um, where the husband and the wife were having a hard time and they saw a psychiatrist and they didn't know if they should remain married or not. So what the psychiatrist told them to do was to set a meeting place and to set a meeting time. And then go about your business. We'll set it for two weeks from now. And if you guys really want to be married, if you think there's something left here to salvage, you'll both be there. But if one of you's not there, or both of you ain't there, it's over. Well, they were both there. They both showed up. And so th 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 there was a thing in them that brought them together. God put that in us. And listen, the trail isn't the best analogy that God made a trail. That's not the best analogy. It's, it's difficult to make analogies that carry the proper weight when you're talking heavenly, right? But what Paul's talking about, the, 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 the trail is kind of what Paul's talking about when he says God set forth our habitations and in him we live and move and have our being. That's what he's talking about, right? 
the fact that all people are the offspring of God sets forth their habitations and causes them to live and move and have their being in God, even if they don't know, right? Even if they're ignorant to what they're doing, okay? And so a habitation, just to give some shape to this, a habitation is an abode. It's a dwelling place, but it's not just a dwelling place in the sense of I reside there, right? Or it's a roof over my head. It's not just a dwelling place in, in that sense, but it establishes all your movements, all your comings and all your goings about. That's the kind of dwelling place that it is. It's the driving force behind your life and what you do and why you do it. That's what an abode is. It's the driving force behind your life and what you do and why you do it. Right? It's not just, wow, that's the roof over my head. And as an example, the United States is my abode. It's my dwelling place. It, I do reside here, but it's not just the place that I reside. It shapes what side of the road I drive on. You see how it orders my steps? When I go and get in the car out there, do you, do you know what side the steering wheel is on? It's on the left side. And do you know what side of the road I'm going to drive on? I'm going to drive on the right side. Right? Well, in Ireland, the steering wheel's on the, the right side of the car. And you drive on the left side of the road. And, and so the, the abode, the United States being my abode, it's the driving force behind my life. It's not just the place I reside, but it shapes even things. It establishes what form of money I use. I mean, I'm not using the Swiss franc. I have some Swiss francs at the house. Guess what? No one here is taking them. Because the United States is my abode, right? The United States is the driving force behind what time of the day it is for me. I mean, we have an international live stream. Do you know there's a lot of people watching on the live stream right now that it's not the same time for them as it is for us right now? Why? Because a different country is their abode. A different country is their abode. Their time is established by something different. The driving force behind their life is something different. And so God, what God did, God himself is the abode that we live and move and have our being in. God set forth himself as our habitation when he created us, right? When God created us in his image, he created us in his image to be the bearers of his likeness. And when he did that, it set something in motion. It set in motion the driving force behind our life. It set in motion what would shape our existence and order our steps and order all of our movements. It like, too. you ever seen that thing, the perpetual motion thing? You pull the thing and then you let it go and it just keeps going. Tink, 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 tink. When, when God created us in his image to be the bearers of his likeness, it created a perpetual motion. It created a thing in us where we would be seeking something. We would be searching something. We would be desiring for something. And every single person would have that in them. And so all of our movements actually come from that searching, from that seeking. Whether you know it or not, whether you know what you're trying to get or not, you're searching and you're seeking that. Everything we do, our desire for wisdom, all of our seeking, all of our searching for the meaning of life, all of our hopes and dreams, all of our desires for a good outcome to our lives come from the fact that God made us in his image to be the bearers of his likeness. We're actually seeking the, 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 the inheriting of his likeness. That's what we're actually seeking. That's 
what we're actually wanting. And he set that in motion when we came from him, when he brought us forth. That caused something to be in us, right? So listen, guys, you might not like this. And because they try to satisfy it in a way outside of God, it, the fruit that comes out of them might not be born from God. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But everyone's movements come forth from God. The whole world, everything they do is what? To have life. Everything we do is to exalt ourselves, to preserve ourselves, to have peace, to have joy, to have comfort. Where did all that come from? Why do any of us even care if we're in pain? Who told us pain's not good? Who told us we're meant for comfort? Who told us it's bad to be hated? Who told us it's, it's good to be accepted? Who put all those things in us? They come forth from us being created by God. And that's why we're seeking all those things. And all those things are a variation of us seeking to find the likeness of his immortality manifested in us bodily. So God set that in motion, right? He set it in motion. All of our activities, all of our activities are derived from our desire to attain to the love and the life that shaped and formed us. All of it. All of it. Why do you care if you think your husband is a loser? Why do you care if you think your wife is a loser? Because there's something in you that's seeking the love that shaped and formed you. Everyone's seeking it. Unbelievers, believers, we're all seeking it. Because God poured out himself to give us his breath in his life. Because he did that, it causes us to desire or to be moved towards his likeness. All of our activities are trying to move towards the likeness of God. That's what we all want. We all want to see God manifested in our body. We want to see God manifested in the earth. We want to see God manifested in our relationships. We want to see God manifested in our kids, in our spouses. We want to see God manifested everywhere. Everything we do is towards the end of seeing God manifested. All of our passions are ignited by a desire for God's likeness. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, whether you know it or not, you don't have to know it. Those dudes, Paul said, are doing it ignorantly. You're even seeking this God ignorantly. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's like a honing signal that we all have in our heart. You guys know E.T.? Remember E.T.? Remember how his heart would burn within him? His heart would burn inside of him, right? And what was it burning with? E.T., phone home. E.T., phone home. Phone home. Phone home. Phone home. Phone home. Why did he have this burning in him to get home? Where did it come from? That's what's in all of us. We're all trying to get home. But not all of us know where home is. And not all of us know what home looks like. Because not all of us have heard where we come from, actually. And not all of us have heard about the likeness of immortality that permeates the habitation from which we come from. From which we live and move and have our being in. Not all of us have heard about that. We have a honing signal inside of our hearts. It burns for the likeness of God's immortality. It burns for God himself. 
It's burning. What happened to E.T. when he didn't feel like he was moving towards home? What happens to humans when they don't feel like they're moving towards a good outcome? Right. What happens to humans when they haven't been awakened to the likeness of God's immortality in them? All sorts of unbridled lusts can be born inside of them where they're grasping for that likeness. Ultimately, destruction can come forth. Depression can set in. All those different kinds of things. Listen, God talks to everyone in their hearts. When He made you in His image, He's talking to you in His hearts. And He's coming to meet with everyone in the garden of their hearts, just as He came to meet with Adam. God is calling you by name. He wants you to come meet with Him. He's seeking you. He made Himself your habitation so that you would be seeking Him, that you might find Him, that you might touch Him by His likeness manifesting in your body. That's why He did it. He's coming to meet with you in the cool of the day. Yes, the Garden of Eden is a physical place, but the Garden of Eden is your heart now. And he's coming to meet with you in your heart, and he's calling you by name. Adam, where are you? Adam just means man. Where are you? He's calling you by name. He puts something in you where you're seeking after his likeness. You're seeking your origin. You're seeking his immortality. You're seeking to see him manifested in you so that you would both be seeking each other. If happily, you might find him. If happily, your senses might start touching him by his life manifesting in you. That's why we feel so happy when we feel loved. It's a sign of God's immortality. It's a sign we've attained to God when we feel loved. But we should never confuse the feeling of love we get from people with the experience of God's likeness. Because then we start ignorantly worshiping the creature. But the creature can never satisfy our desire because the creature is a created being. And we're actually desiring something that's uncreated. Because we come from someone who has no beginning or end. So anything that has a beginning or an end can never satisfy our desire. Only something that is without beginning and without end, something uncreated can satisfy us. We're longing for that which is uncreated. Because we were born from that which is uncreated. Guess what everything in this world is? Created. Hey, as much as I love my wife, my wife's created. As much as it's nice when my wife loves me, it makes life easier when you love each other. I mean, it does. I mean, you don't fight. It's much nicer. But my wife is created. She can never satisfy my desire for the uncreated. Right? You guys following that? You see the motion he set? You see the yearning you feel? Why there's a longing? When you feel dissatisfied, do you start to see what it is that you're dissatisfied about? Why you're dissatisfied? See, when you start to understand these things, what happens is, is you start connecting with his likeness in that place instead of twisting on all of the things. That's a created thing. That can't satisfy my desire for something that's uncreated. Right? So Paul sees the philosophers on Mars Hill, and we'll, we'll change his language now a little bit. He knows what they're doing there. 
he, he comes to explain life to these guys so they can understand themselves and they can understand what they're after, which is what the gospel is, which is why God came into the earth. The earth is Mars Hill. And we were all loving wisdom. We were all philosophizing about life. We were all trying to understand the meaning of life. We were all trying to understand what makes the world tick because we were seeking God. And God showed up in Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection to explain life. To explain the yearning, the longing, why it's there. So Paul comes and he discerns their hearts for them. He discerns their lives. He says to them, I see you guys love wisdom. I see you love wisdom. I see you're searching for the meaning of life. Guess what? Your movement is ignited by the one who gave you being. The reason you're seeking that is because of the one who gave you being. And because of that, you're searching after him even though you don't know it. Whatever thing you think you could have, and if you had it, life would be good. Actually, what you're searching after is God. Actually, what you're seeking after is God. It's just you become convinced and attaining to that. That will be as the likeness of God being born in you. He tells them, you even had this altar with the inscription for the unknown God. So then Paul tells them what they're seeking for. He tells them what all their hopes and dreams are all about. He tells them God has showed them what it's all about and how he has attained to it for them when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's when he starts getting into the resurrection. Let me tell you what you're after. You see this guy that was raised from the dead? This is what you're seeking. It's called God. And no man has approached the immortality except for this man, Jesus. And God has given us an assurance that the immortality, the likeness that we're seeking, that we're going to have in this man, Jesus, and he's appointed a day where we're going to see that likeness manifest in our bodies and in the earth. That's what he says. And listen, Paul's the perfect guy to minister to the philosophers on Mars Hill. Because Paul also worshipped God in ignorance before he encountered the glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul thought the blessing of life was found in the riches of the world, in the good status he could attain to, a good reputation in the earth, being real smart according to the world, being real mighty according to the world. Paul was seeking God through those things and through the works of the law, performing the works of the law. And so the apostle Paul ignorantly worshiped God, thinking the blessing of life was according to the strength of the world, right? But then God came and discerned parts all part Paul's heart for him on the road to Damascus when he showed him the glorified Jesus in the likeness of the Father's life, right? And he showed Paul what he was always seeking. Isn't this it? This is what you're trying to get back to, Paul. This is what you're actually searching for. This is what you're longing for. This is what you're yearning for. And then that started unwrapping for Paul how exactly you attain to that. It's by faith. It's simply by calling upon the name of the Lord, who the, who the Lord has called your name. And so you don't even call upon the name of the Lord on your own. You hear the Lord calling your name. And when you hear him calling your name, do you know what it says to you? I come forth from him. And now you see what you're trying to get back to is him. You see all the movement in your life, all the passions in your life, all the zeal has all been born trying to get back to the likeness of God's immortality. And then you call upon his name, Abba. And then you know what happens? The likeness of himself dwells inside of you. <laughs> Psalm 37, and we'll finish up. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, 
and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. We think that means, well, if I, if I am good to God, he'll give me the car. If I do the things God wants, then he'll give me the, the wife or the babies or the money or the ministry. That's not what it's talking about. The psalmist says to delight yourself in the Lord, and it stands in contrast or as opposed to delighting yourself in created things. Find your delight or your pleasure in the Lord who is uncreated instead of created things. Because in him you live and move and have your being. Which means the only thing that can satisfy the yearning and the longing you feel is God. None of these temporal things or created things can ever satisfy you. Right? That's what he's talking about. We're longing for the one who created us. Created things can't satisfy our desires. They can't tame the passions in our members. They can't quiet the voices. The only thing that could bring true comfort to our flesh is to possess the one who has no beginning or end. That's the only thing. Psalm 84, 2. Listen to what it says. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. That's what all of our hearts are longing and crying out for. We just don't know it. The world's told us we're crying out for this. We're crying out for that. No, we're crying out for the living God. That's the yearning you feel. The longing you feel is for the glory of God. When you feel a groaning inside, desiring something, you're groaning for the likeness of God's immortality. Like when the woman's groaning in childbirth, you know why she's groaning? She's desiring to see the life that's in her come forth. Do you know when we're groaning, when we're longing for something, when we're desiring something, what we're longing and desiring is to see the life that we have from God manifested in us. That's what we're longing for. You're groaning, you're longing for the love that brought you forth. And the glorified Jesus is the substance of what you're seeking. And so you start to realize God gave you the desire of your heart. God made your dream come true. He chased you down in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He chased you down to make all your dreams come true, which was for you to possess the likeness of his life. And so he chased you down with his goodness. His goodness is him giving you the likeness of his life. And now you find satisfaction because you've awakened to his likeness. You can read that in the Psalms. Psalm 17, verse 5. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. And read that again. I don't think Mick Jagger read this verse. Because if he had, he wouldn't have sang the song, I can't get no satisfaction. And the reason why he sang that song is because he was trying to satisfy himself with created things. And as beautiful as created things can be, and you can certainly enjoy created things, they can never satisfy you. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Right? It tames the passions in our members when we awaken to the presence of his likeness inside of us. Right? And we stop looking for that satisfaction without Right? And so what I want to say is, if we understand our habitation, like we just talked about today, if we actually understand the abode, 
that in him we live and move and have our being. We won't be driven by a desire to know more or to have more. I don't need to know anymore. I'm not trying to know more. I'm not thinking I can have something more by knowing more. Because I understand my habitation. And so my desire to know more and to have more has been quenched. Because I've awakened to his likeness. If we know God, like really know God, by being awakened to his likeness, touching and handling him, by being awakened to his likeness within us, our knowledge of everything is brought to perfection in that. Your, your, your knowledge isn't perfected by knowing more or understanding more. Your knowledge is brought to perfection in knowing him, in awakening to his likeness, in understanding he is your habitation, that you live and move and have your being in him. And that's what's in you. That's the burning you feel in your chest. That's the phone home, E.T., phone home. Right? That's when you know even as you're known, like Paul said. God knows he's your habitation. He knows in him you live and move and have your being. He knows there's a burning in you for his likeness. He knows there's a burning in you to see God manifested in your body, in your life. And then you know even as you're known. When the God, when the heart that God formed within us and the ability he gave us to reason, when those things, the heart and our ability that he gave us to reason, when it catches up to what's ours and we are found by the one whose love and likeness we're longing for, we've known even as we're known. And that's why I railed all the time about you don't have to wait to the last day, to know even as you're known, right? Yes, there will be a knowing that happens that day also because the, the, the glorification, right? And so it's not to say there won't be a knowing there, but it's just to say that knowing isn't only reserved for then. That knowing can be all throughout your life as you come into what's yours and you, you, you realize you've been found by the one whose love and life you've been longing for all along. Right? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the, the pebbles, for the breadcrumbs. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for putting inside of us a desire for you. Thank you, Lord, that everyone has that desire for you. I thank you, Father, that you, you drew near to us so that you could reveal yourself to be the one which we're desiring for. Thank you, Father, for the gospel, that we can go into the earth and declare to people the God that they're ignorantly worshiped, that we can declare to people the love in their life that they're seeking through created things. Thank you, Father, that we can declare to people that they're your offspring and that the only thing that will satisfy them is something that is uncreated. The only thing that can satisfy them is something that is without beginning or end. Thank you, Father, that you're the only philosophy. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the only philosophy. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the only doctrine. Thank you, Father, that you don't need any help from worldly, temporal things to drop your doctrine, to drop your philosophy. Thank you, Father, that the one true wisdom is the Word made flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. If anybody wants prayer, man, I'm happy to pray for you. But, man, think about these things and, and talk with God about these things. The next time you feel gripped by a... An emotion. Let this come in and start discerning. Let it lead you 
to call upon the Father, hearing that He's called your name. I promise you what will happen is it will be as if you're touching and handling the Lord's body. And your senses will start being awakened to His immortality, to His life. Hallelujah. Thank you guys so much for letting me say so many things.